You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schripp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore dada. So today's going to be a little bit of a grab bag. I've got, uh, well, I guess I'm not really sure. I have voicemails and I have text messages, but sometimes they're just kind of random and I haven't read them yet. But I believe we have questions. Yes, this is how I prepare for a show. I rock ice. All right? Shaved ice. You know what I'm saying? You get it? Okay. I don't either. It just sounded good. Beyond that, I want to continue on a little bit. Um, I didn't get a whole lot done with my little sheet chart. Chart sheet. Sheet 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 chart chart. But I got centers. And um, I've only got about five of them. I will be adding more. But as far as NFL Big Board is concerned, I had, you know, maybe 10-ish centers. But if Pro Football Focus doesn't have the information, it's kind of useless because about four out of the six things that I use are based on Pro Football Focus. So I had to delete all those, but they've got another batch, so I'll just take their guys, whatever. And then maybe lastly, I'm not sure what else we'll be talking about. Oh, safeties. I did watch um, three safeties, so I want to give my opinion on them because it is different than what my, um, my my little positional spreadsheet says. And then lastly, I want to talk a little bit about that article that came out about Mike McCarthy. I know that kind of shook the universe, but I, I don't know. I don't, wasn't that earth-shattering. A couple little points in there. We'll probably start with that because I find that I, I shouldn't. That sounds cold-hearted. Um, eh, whatever. It's the least interesting to me. It was a good article, and I like Mike McCarthy, and everything he said is awesome, and he's a genuine person, and all that stuff. You've heard all that. You know all that. I, you know, And I agree. Yes, check the box. I agree. Just saying, I'm in like fact finding mode. I, you know, we got a brand new coach and he says stuff, and I'm trying to find nuggets of information that help me to understand the team better. And I just, I'm just saying, I didn't find a ton of that in the article. But there's a couple little things that I want to, you know, unnecessarily speculate for and then also clarify. But anywho, always remember to get into the Facebook group. If I do end up getting 150 reviews, which seemed like it was going to happen when I got, I don't know, like 15 in a day. In a day Um, We've kind of stalled out a little bit, so I'll say if it happens, if we get to 150 iTunes reviews, I will be doing a live stream of the draft, and if I do a live stream of the draft, it will most likely be in the Facebook group. So if you're interested in that, make sure you're already in there, facebookgroup.com forward slash groups forward slash Packernet pod, or just type Packernet podcast and look in the groups and it'll be there. I'm confident you'll find it if you want to. Finally, if you do have any questions, if you would like to get something off your chest about the Green Bay Packers, give me your opinion. Put it on the show, 608-507-0718, 608-507-0718. And again, if you don't want me to play the recording, just say so at the beginning, and I don't mean just once because I will forget every time. Put it at the top. I don't want this in the show because I will forget and I will put your uh, voice on the show. Also, if you'd like it to be on the show, you got to keep it concise. I mean, just just give me the question, and I'll play the question. Otherwise, I'm just going to summarize because, I mean, it's, it's, you know, you understand. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. All right, so let's start with this Mike McCarthy article that came out. It is pretty cool. I, I, I like it. If you haven't read it, I would encourage you to read it. Don't just read the one headline that says, you know, Mike McCarthy's complaining that it wasn't handled well. 
There's definitely a lot more information in there. But I will say the first thing that stood out was Mike McCarthy being adamant about the fact that saying that there was not accountability on the team, specifically the two words he said are complacency and accountability. He said that's not accurate. Let me just read it to you. He says, that's not accurate. I'll be the first to say coaches are in the business of being criticized. We deal with it on a daily basis. When you throw out statements like that, you better have it right. A big part of the process of having the league is due to a tireless, tireless work ethic. All coaches work hard, but accountability comment was totally inaccurate. The only reason I want to comment on it is because I have talked about accountability and a spe- specifically complacency. He really hit on accountability, but I really hit on complacency. And he said, you know, best not go there because you're wrong. Maybe. And I, I kind of started to think, I don't know. I, I, I guess you could say I felt bad because I am saying it and I am hammering it over and over again. And I don't know for sure. But as I've said on the show a thousand times, what I'm doing is reading the tea leaves and I'm stitching things together. And to this day, I will tell you that complacency and accountability still seem to be a very big problem. And I think if you talk to other players on the team, they might disagree with Mike McCarthy. I think if you talk with Mark Murphy, who fired McCarthy, and, you know, maybe he would have a different view of things. But I could be wrong. Maybe that wasn't a problem. Maybe I misread David Bakhtiari saying he was upset that people just weren't doing what they were supposed to do. Maybe that's not on Mike. I don't know how exactly how it's not. I mean, look, if you just look at the comment, he goes on to say somewhere in here, I don't know where, but he's like, well, our our, our fine policy or, or the amount of fines that we levied kind of shows the account. Of, yeah, and maybe that's kind of the point. And maybe that's maybe where I steered it a little bit incorrectly. Maybe every time somebody was late, they got a fine. I don't know. But guys are still showing up late to the point where you got the veterans getting upset about it. Now, guys are going to be individuals who are going to do what they're going to do. But if you have this sort of attitude and environment, even if you're standing... I mean, listen, as a parent, and this is very much easier said than done, but it's, it's not enough to just sit back and wait for your kids to do the wrong things and then discipline them. There needs to be some kind of proactive attitude here of getting your kids to have a good attitude maybe get a little creative maybe be a little inspirational get them excited about stuff that they don't necessarily want to do tell them about why it's important to have a good attitude about doing stuff i'm not saying i'm good at that because i'm super not sometimes i am very much the guy who just kind of forgets that they're little kids and it's my job to teach them sometimes and I expect that we just kind of live together and we all have our own jobs and I do mine and I expect you to do yours. And when you don't, I'm just going to come down on you. I Sometimes I fall into that. But fully understanding, it's still my fault if, if my kids have a bad attitude or if my kids aren't doing the right things. That is my fault. I'm not the one doing it. And yes, I do have a standard that that's not allowed. And yes, there are you know, repercussions for doing the wrong thing. But still... It still ultimately falls on me. The whole, you know, the buck stops here, that's the correct attitude. And to be honest, that's not the attitude McCarthy took in this regard. Now, unless he's saying there were no problems, okay. But then he's also saying my players are liars. Up to and including, as I said, not just last year, but two years ago when Ha Ha Clinton Dix spouted off. And granted, he spouted off about the players. But the point is the locker room devolved into chaos. So here is my olive branch, because I'm fully aware that when McCarthy's talking about he's mad that people are talking about complacency accountability, he's probably not talking about the Packernet podcast. But here's the thing. If there are any players, coaches, scouts, GMs, anything listening to this podcast, and you don't like what I have to say, fine. I'm using the information that I have, and I'm going to continue to use the information I have to draw the best conclusions that I can. If you would like to supply me with better information... You got my phone number, brother. I put it up at the top of the show. Give me a call. Tell me what's up. Otherwise, quit crying about it. Because you're right, coaches are in the business of getting criticized. And when stuff isn't going well and your players aren't happy and you lost the locker room and your guys aren't playing for you, yes, that's it's not a reflection of you being a bad person because McCarthy's not a bad person. It's not about him not working hard because he does work hard. It's not that he doesn't continue to hold the same standard he always has held that's true but I guess the fact of the matter is there was something else that was required maybe it's just a new crop of people that are just bad people maybe all the players are just bad people and they're lazy people 
Maybe we'll just put it all on them. I don't. The fact of the matter is, stuff went wrong, and blames blame belongs somewhere. If McCarthy wants to come out and say it's not me, it's someone else, fine. Maybe it's someone else. Again, go ahead, put it out there on the record. And he's not going to do that, and that's fine. Except ultimately, that's where we're at now with this article. Because if I take him at his word, I have to draw new conclusions, and the new conclusions, based on a bad season, is not going to be that everything was perfect because it wasn't. The blame has to lie somewhere. Now, I'm not going to go back and find somebody new to blame because I'm still con- I'm okay with my conclusions. I guess I just want to clarify two things. One, specifically what I mean when I say. Two, again, anybody's got a problem with what I'm saying, feel free to call me. But I also did want to lay out, because complacency was a big thing that I talked about, and then he also mentioned, he talked about how tirelessly he was working, and in fact, he, he worked even harder um, over these last few years to the point where his wife was kind of after the fact, like, look, it's kind of a good thing, man, because you were really kind of losing it there. Just the amount of work. Now, I never meant to imply that he didn't work hard or didn't put in the hours because I talked a lot about the comfort and complacency of not just McCarthy, but the entire coaching staff and a lot of the players. Now, that maybe isn't necessarily true, but let me put it this way. I think, and I think McCarthy would essentially agree with this, I think him stopping and taking a step back is important. And if I can think of a better word than complacency as I'm going along here, I'll, I'll be sure to come out with it. Maybe the better way to look at it is that he was so overwhelmed, the ability to do what he's doing now, which is to step back and really analyze the landscape and really reassess things, is what he needs. Because the, the NFL's moved on, right? The NFL is several years ahead of McCarthy. And not that he's not trying to incorporate certain things, but the amount of work that he had to put in just to bring this team up to the Packers' standard as it is now is a lot of work, right? His, his wife had specifically said, listen, I understand that coaches don't have much time for their families during the season, but we weren't even seeing you during the offseason. That's how much work he's putting in. And I, I, I really think he just needed a reset. I think he just needed a reset, and he needs this time to be able to step back and really assess the NFL, where it's at, how to best use his talents, and 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 reincorporate and understand where the NFL is at today. And Lafleur, if nothing else, and I have no way of knowing if he's gonna. I mean, to be honest, we would be very lucky if he was even half as good as McCarthy was over these years. McCarthy was at the forefront of the NFL for a very long time. He had built one of the better offenses in the NFL consistently for a very, very, very long time. And eventually it's going to get in front of you, but whatever. Right? The, the NFL is just going to get away from you. But LaFleur at this point in time is sort of on the, the, the tip of the spear. Again, I don't know if he's going to be a good coach. There's a lot more to coaching than play calling and understanding scheme. But at least insofar as that is, is a thing, he has that. And again, it's, it's an opportunity to kind of reset things. So McCarthy was not complacent in the fact that he didn't work. I think he was complacent in the fact that this is what I do. This is the standard. This is how we run things. And that was never going to change. The amount of hours put in is a matter, is a, is, was wrong from the start because it started from the premise of this has to be true. Therefore, how do we take what I know to be true and make it work with the guys I have? And I just think it was round peg, square hole situation. It's not going to work. And he had to work maybe harder than anybody to try to make it go, and it just didn't go. And again, the best thing for him and the Packers was a, a separation because right now McCarthy is working tirelessly, but he has the opportunity to get away from the Packers and the standard that he built and to start reassessing things. And if he's able to, to do the work that I know he will do, I think there is a very good chance that he is a, a coach in the NFL next year. Although I, 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 I shouldn't say that. I, mean, I, I think it would be smart for a team to hire him. I, that doesn't mean that that's going to happen. I think I still think the trend of, you know, being young and being new and being fancy and all this stuff, um, that's just kind of the trend. So somebody maybe more deserving, like Mike McCarthy, might be offered a lot of offensive coordinator jobs, which he'll turn down. Um, but I don't know. I hope he gets a job somewhere. Not in the NFC North, but I hope he gets a job somewhere. But does that make sense? There, there are problems, and I don't think Mike McCarthy was the guy to fix it. That's sort of the summary right there. There are problems in the locker room. He's just not that guy. He's, he's brilliant, and he's a hard worker in a certain regard, and that just didn't help this team anymore. Now, I want to kind of pivot a little bit 
because there was one part in here that maybe could solve a lot of my problems, but in a way that means the Packers are going to continue to be really bad. So I only want to very briefly touch on it and get the heck out of here because, as I've said several times, the offseason is not the time for pessimism. This is the time when every fan base thinks their team is going to win the Super Bowl, and good, you should. Right? We've got a great team, man. Well, if we just draft these three guys or whatever, Super Bowl. Everybody thinks that. And then after the draft, we just drafted 10 freaks. Every single one of them. Man, I got a. I hope you can't hear that. I got a zipper on this hoodie. Eh. And it just keeps grinding on this headphone cord. I hope you. Sorry about that. What was I talking about? <sighs> Driving me nuts. It's cold down here, all right? Oh, right, and then, you know, all the guys you draft are going to be freaks. Like, the, the, oh, man, and that sixth-round guy, he's pretty good. He's, a, he's legitimately, like, he's really good. That will be the conversation, right? Seventh-round guys did it last year with Kendall Donerson. He, when I went over to that one website or whatever where it compares you to other players, his comparison was Khalil Mack. Oh, man, we got Khalil Mack in the seventh round, burn. I mean, that's just, but fine, that's okay. Just that's what it is. You get excited. You start, you know, interacting with reality when reality actually occurs. Otherwise, I mean, what, I'm not going to sit here and cry 365 days a year. That's ridiculous. But let's at least touch on it a smidge. One of the things he said that actually makes a lot of sense is that he was asked about Rodgers and how, you know, is he kind of difficult? And it sounds like his answer was, yeah, kind of. But he put a sort of positive spin on it, which essentially was, look, he's he's just next-level smart. He's one of those super high-intelligence kind of people, and people like that want to be challenged all the time. Now, our Packer fan national media narrative tends to be, I don't mean me national, I'm just talking about everybody. The, the narrative everywhere seems to be McCarthy didn't have what it takes to challenge him because he's old school and he and Rogers already knows it all and he wants to know new stuff. So Lafleur's going to come in, teach him new stuff, and he's going to be real happy and real excited. It's going to be great. From McCarthy's perspective, which I hope he is just a big liar. Please tell me you're lying, McCarthy. Is that his kind of perspective was? Look, I'd love to challenge you. We just don't have the roster to be able to do that. In other words, if I could throw more at this offense, I would, because you can handle it, but the rest of this team can't. I mean, you can't just take like a V12 Lamborghini engine and hook it up to a Honda Civic and say, boom, Lamborghini. And unfortunately, that's sort of the picture that McCarthy's painting. If the team is the car, the quarterback is the engine, and it's just, it's about as powerful as you can find. But some of the other parts and pieces probably couldn't handle the full amount of power if you were to just really lay into this thing. So you got to cool it or you're going to break it. That's a problem because that's not something Matt LaFleur can fix. Matt LaFleur would just come in here with all his fancy stuff and the offense is just going to stall out because it's a bunch of guys that can't handle it. Now here's, here's kind of the, the problem with, I guess, that thought. Specifically who can't handle it? Jimmy Graham and Mercedes Lewis? Give me a break. Bakhtiari, Taylor, Lindsley, um, Balaga, pretty sure they can handle complex offenses. They're pretty smart guys. They've been around for a while. Devontae Adams, pretty sure he can figure it out. The, the only guys that I can think of that can't handle it would be the running backs, for one, which, I mean, yes, they, of course, I mean, it's, it, they're running backs. One of the big things about why running backs are the easiest plug and play is because it's one of the more simplistic things. Run that way or run that way. I mean, there's nuance that makes you a really good running back, but for the most most part, um, do you know what a B gap is? Can you point it out on the map here, sir? If I told you to run toward and through said B gap, think you could figure that out? Again, there's more complexity to this, but I, I think in terms of complexity, very little of that complexity is going to be on the run game. You know, it's more of a directional change. And, and you know, tempo and all this other stuff might change, but, I, I, again, the idea that they couldn't pick it up is silly. Of course they can, and, and, and McCarthy ran outside zone on occasion, and the, the running backs did fine. I'm sure the running backs have done outside zone. Pretty much everybody has at some point, whether it's at a NFL level, a college level, whatever. So, really, the only thing we'd be talking about here would be the other wide receivers, which did seem to be a bit of a problem. 
Well, first of all, they're in their second year. Second of all, we have new coaches, so maybe we have a better job of coaching them up. Third of all, if that really is a problem, fine, draft someone, and I'm sure we will. I mentioned before that slot receivers tend to be, or I don't know about tend to be, but need to be relatively high IQ and probably do tend to be if they are already playing in the slot. So go out and get an A.J. Brown or a Nikhil Harry or, uh, you know, whatever. Slap them in there. And now we've got two of the three guys, you know, in a typical three wide receiver set that understand what they're doing with a third guy that'll probably figure it out to some degree. So, I, you know, again, when I first heard the statement, it sent shivers down my spine. But again, the more you think about it, I mean, are, are, are we saying that Jimmy Graham and Mercedes Lewis can't figure this out, that they can't run at a higher level offense? I just find that ridiculously hard to believe. Are we saying Devontae Adams is too simplistic? He's a talented guy, but he's kind of a dummy? Is that, I mean, what are we... Again, if I take the blame off of McCarthy, which I can, I have to put it somewhere else. If he's saying the problem isn't that he wasn't creative, it's that the guys just couldn't keep up. Right? I could be as creative as, as anybody in the NFL, and, and Rodgers could be too, but I mean, come on. These guys, they, they just couldn't handle it. That's what he said. I mean, not in those words, but let's be completely honest, that's exactly what he said. And again, specifically who can't handle it, I'm struggling to, to come up with the names. I mean, the, the wide receivers we have weren't getting it anyways, so dial up something different. And then, of course, it brings me back to, hey, how about on third and two we don't run, you know, all verticals, right? I mean, that, that, that's ultimately when we come back to it and we think specifically what was wrong with last year. The picture that I'm getting from McCarthy that made me initially think, man, maybe I had it all wrong, kind of goes away pretty quick. The whole, it wasn't my fault, it was everybody else's fault. And I, I, listen, I don't, I don't want to be the one guy that has this take while everybody else is out here talking about how wonderful McCarthy is. This is the greatest thing ever, and everybody's terrible for talking bad about McCarthy. McCarthy is undoubtedly a, a fantastic human being. I'm just trying to keep this focused on the Green Bay Packers in terms of the sport, in terms of, of you know, the, the question, you know, Mark Murphy, he made a very, very tough decision. Why? Is it because McCarthy is a bad person? Is it because he wasn't putting in the hours? No. Then the question is why and how do we fix it? And I'm taking this article as strictly information and I'm reading it and I'm saying, look, this isn't changing my perspective very much. And I understand this is McCarthy's perspective and I don't think he's lying, but I do think this is his perspective. And I even being in my seat, which I understand is nowhere near as close to the fire as McCarthy was, I just don't really think that, that I'm going to change my position on any of this stuff. Clarify it a little, sure. Change my position, no. I don't think Mark Murphy was wrong. And let, let me, okay, one more thing. We talked about it at the time, and it's becoming an issue all over again, and I understand this is the more unpopular position. Because apparently I'm a cold-hearted person, just like Mark Murphy is. Which was also in the article, and I'll admit that that wasn't very great to hear. Apparently, he got called into Murphy's office. Murphy just very coldly laid out, look, this is embarrassing. This isn't going to work. We're going in a different direction. You know, it's kind of like after all these years, maybe a little bit more warmth would be nice. But the question of should he been fired midseason came up. Most people at the time felt it was inappropriate. Most people felt you don't do things that way. I'm sorry, I just disagree. The question for me ultimately is, what is best for this team? The best thing for this team was to move on from Mike McCarthy. And to be honest, as much as everybody gets offended by this, yes, it is the best thing for Mike McCarthy as well. It gives us a head start on finding a new coach. It gives him a head start on becoming a new a head coach for a new team. I also tend to think it was better for this team, you know, for example, to assess if there's anybody on this team that deserves to be a head coach. It starts the rebuild process, and it doesn't delay the inevitable any longer. There was zero benefit to keeping Mike McCarthy. And to be completely honest, as much as, as I've said, this isn't what anybody says they want to do, it helped us tank. It just, it just threw a wrench in this year saying we're done. Now the ultimate question is about respect. Mike McCarthy felt disrespected. This isn't how you treat a coach after all this time. And look, if I agreed with that premise, I would say yes, there is no coach more deserving of the respect of finishing out a season than Mike McCarthy. I just don't agree with the premise. This is a business. Our, our ability to win starting next year and beyond is something that we have to take seriously every single day. Firing you today is going to help us to be a better football team in the long run. We're going to do it. And I just think people can't see the past the disrespect of it. It was better for McCarthy. It was better for the team. So let's do it. 
Now, he's not going to agree it was better for him. He would rather finish out the season because, it. listen, it's. I get that it's embarrassing. It, it, it's an embarrassing way to go out. And that's unfortunate. But again, I would just try to, if you know, if I could, encourage McCarthy to not look at it that way because it's the wrong way to look at it. It's not about disrespect. It's not really about... It, it, it has nothing to do with that. It's not even... I can't say it's not about you because ultimately it is. But it's not a reflection on what you've done over the years. It's just a matter about at this specific point in time, what is the best thing to do? And the answer to that question was to fire Mike McCarthy. If you could go back and redo it, and, and let McCarthy stay on as long as he stayed on with the full knowledge that we could risk, first of all, winning a couple more games, meaning we're not picking at 12 anymore, we're picking at 18 or something, and also risk, by the way, the possibility that we don't have LaFleur as our head coach, we end up with somebody else like Adam Gase. If you want to play that game and go back and say, listen, it's worth it if it, if it makes McCarthy feel better about the situation, which ultimately nobody's going to feel good about getting fired, but if you want to play that game, go ahead and play that game. I'm not playing that game. Now, I, I would prefer if I'm Mark Murphy and I, I don't know maybe again McCarthy this is just McCarthy's perspective I'm sure Murphy had a slightly different perspective I don't know I would absolutely have preferred it be a much more warm experience maybe call in Gutekunst and some other people and, and you know try to mention a few other good tidbits talk about how this hurts you and how this pains you and how sorry I am you know whatever Understand that this is a person who's dedicated his entire life to this profession, his entire life to this team, even over his family, which he loves a lot, and just try to fire him in that context. But as far as the question of should we do it or shouldn't we do it, of course you should do it. That's my perspective. I'm, I'm certainly glad I wasn't the one to have to do it, but it had to be done, and Mark Murphy... And I, that's, yeah, I'm getting tired of everybody trashing Mark Murphy, to be completely honest. I'm really sick of it. He talks too much. Go away. What a weird thing to complain about. I, I watched that. I didn't think it was weird at all. He laid out the end. I, I loved that press conference when he was talking because he laid out everything as a podcaster that I've been trying to figure out what's going on. And he just pulled back the entire curtain and told us the whole process. That was all, That's exactly what I wanted to know. He told me everything. He's too mean. He's too cold. He's too controlling. He's too this. I appreciate Mark Murphy. I don't know that I did back when he was Mr. Titletown. Because he was just, you know, I mean, he was just a CEO. But it again, my perspective on this is the Packers started going down a very terrible path. He kind of turned away from his executive position and gave himself a football job and said, listen, things aren't working. We're going to fix it. Ted Thompson stepped aside. He hired the replacement for Ted Thompson, which was a great hire. You can thank Mark Murphy for Brian Gutekunst, by the way, and for securing Russ Ball, who's one of the best in the business at what he does. He was the one that decided to make the tough decision because he put the team above the feelings, which is the right decision to make. He, along with Gutekunst and everybody else, has decided on bringing in Matt LaFleur. We'll see how that pans out, but if you like Matt LaFleur, you can, in a large sense, thank Mark Murphy. He is the one that ultimately said, enough is enough, and just ripped this thing apart and said, we need to start over. Because this wasn't going, and Ted Thompson wasn't going to fire anybody. Mike McCarthy wasn't going to fire anybody, which is where the complacency comments come from. Why weren't any of these coaches fired? Again, let's just get down to it. I know you don't like the complacency, you don't like the accountability stuff. Okay, well, where was it? The only accountability I saw was Mark Murphy turning around saying, enough is enough. Ted, excuse me, sorry, maybe it's time. Again, I know Ted Thompson stepped aside voluntarily. Fine. But it seemed to coincide pretty perfectly with Mark Murphy turning around and blowing up the whole process and says, we're changing this all up. Shortly after he decided he was going to take more power, Ted Thompson's gone. The next year, Mike McCarthy's gone. Now, Ted Thompson's still around. But I don't think it's a coincidence. Everything blew up the moment. I mean, and, and listen, if he decides to stay hands off, if he decides that he's just going to go over here, he's going to do the ribbon cuttings, he's going to focus on revenue, he's going to focus on getting you know, cool stuff going on and, and negotiating, playing in Canada and playing in London and expanding, getting more hotels so we, we can maybe one day have the draft hosted here. I, I don't know what the Green Bay Packers would be today. So yeah, maybe he's a little heavy-handed. Maybe he's he's a little too, I don't, I don't know. But I like what Mike Mark Murphy's doing. I like that he's the one holding the standard. He's the one saying this isn't good enough. He's the one, and listen, this is the kind of thing, when you say everybody reports to me, that's the kind of thing that happens when a boss realizes that you guys can't be, you know, 
allowed to just run your own thing. Which is why I came to the conclusions that I... is a big part of the reason I came to the conclusions I did. If, if McCarthy and Thompson and, and everything was fine, why would he need to turn around and say, no, everything goes through me now? I, 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 it, it just seems crystal clear to me that he was not happy with the standard. And by the way, Brian Gutekunst seems to be the perfect hire because he's coming in with that exact same standard. And you could just feel the fear in the coaches because of Brian Gutekunst. Just go, again, you, you look at uh, what happened with a few of these players where you know it's kind of like, well, you know, things happen, it's not a big deal, and Gutekunst comes in and says, bye, you're gone, bye, you're gone, bye, you're gone. You don't have a good attitude, you don't play to our standard, you're out of here, you're gone. And if you can't tell, by the way, I talk about the importance of the locker room and having a, a cohesion in there, that's kind of my attitude. I appreciate Brian Gutekunst and Mark Murphy for their no-nonsense, heavy-fisted attitude. Because to be honest, as a Packer fan, I agree, enough is enough. I love this fan base because of our ability to be a little bit more family-oriented, to be a little bit more warm, welcoming, and loving. That's a great attribute. But I'm not willing to take that down, you know, to to have that to a fault to where we're sitting here at 0-16 saying, yeah, but at least we're a family. You can be loving to a fault. Loving but with expectations. In other words, and when I'm talking about loving, I'm just, I'm using that as a family analogy. I'm, I'm talking about treating people well, Focusing on people's families and, and character and all this kind of stuff, it's important. All that stuff is important. But again, not to a fault. Everybody knows those people in your family, whether it's a parent or a grandparent or an aunt or uncle or whatever, who have absolute unconditional love for you and would do anything for you, but will put up with zero of your nonsense. That's the correct attitude. I will always be here for you. I, I, I care about what's best for you as a human being, but I will put up with zero of your nonsense, up to and including cutting you today. Caring about people, but not to a fault. Because ultimately the team is what matters. The, 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 the Green Bay Packers and the legacy therein is what's important. Winning and success is the entire purpose of what we're doing here. And I don't want to forget that, simply because Mike McCarthy's a good person and we feel bad for him. Of course I feel bad for him. But it has to end sometime, and it had to end when it ended. Didn't have to, but it should have, and it did. All right, that's enough of that. Or in other words... All right, now you sons of You know how I feel. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now... Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Well, that took a little bit longer than I anticipated. Felt good though, man. I got, Like I said, I got to get a rant off my chest about once a month. I just got to... During the regular season when we're losing, it's once a day. But in the off season, if I can do once a month, just kind of cleanse the system, get out this pent-up rage that I didn't know existed until I start talking about a random happy article that Mark McCarthy um, helped to produce. Just never know what's going to set me off, man. Isn't this a wonderful article? It is. Let me talk about it. Anyways, I'm, I'm going to hold off on the questions a little bit. We'll see if we get there, but I'm thinking we probably won't at this point. Because I want to talk about the two other things that I, that I got to. That doesn't make sense. Let's talk briefly about centers because I only have a couple of them. And then I want to talk about safeties and we'll see where we're at. All right, so what I've got are six center prospects. Interestingly enough, almost all of them, well, four of them, 
have really, really high relative athletic scores. And maybe this is just the case for centers in general. Centers are typically athletic people. I would not have thought that. I would have thought maybe one of the least athletic. But either way, in this draft class, relative athletic scores are really high. Three of the six, and by the way, Jesse Burkett out of Stanford, uh, we don't have his information. So it's technically kind of out of five. Three of them are in the nines. One of them is 8.97. So basically, four out of five are in or above the nines. And by the way, Garrett Bradbury out of NC State, 9.96. Just about as athletic as you can be for his size, which is crazy. So anyways, here's the order that I do have uh, for my centers. It is Garrett Bradbury at the top, Elgin uh, Elgin Jenkins out of Mississippi State, number two, Eric McCoy out of Texas A&M is number three, Connor McGovern out of Penn State is number four, Lamont Gaillard out of Georgia is number five, and Jesse Burkett I have uh, last. Again, I don't have his relative athletic score, but I gave him a seven, which isn't the worst. Uh, Lamont Gaillard is 4.8, so I just kind of, I figure seven is kind of an average-ish grade. Seemed fair. Plus, remember, this is Stanford. We've seen other guys at guard out of Stanford, and what are they? They're road graders. So I probably was being kind with his relative athletic score. I don't know. But anyways, I don't have this up uh, uploaded yet to Patreon. I have two sheets. I have my uh, sort of my key, which has all the formulas and, and my little keys on it saying, you know, between this and this is this grade, whatever. That's how I initially create it, and then I just copy and paste it into my cleaner, nicer-looking Excel spreadsheet, and that's what I put up on Patreon for you guys. By the way, a dollar a month gets you uh, gets you access to all this stuff. Would encourage you to consider that. And actually, I have to correct it. I didn't sort this properly yet. So I had it almost exactly right, but a little bit wrong. But it almost doesn't matter. Elgin Jenkins is actually technically number one. But here's the two official grades for Elgin, Elgin Jenkins and Garrett Bradbury. Jenkins is 73.615. Garrett Bradbury is 73.515. So they're almost exactly identical. They're both very athletic. They both had very similar pass blocking grades. The difference would be Bradbury is a little bit more um, even keel across the board. 8.4 pass block, 8.5 pass blocking efficiency, 8.3 run block, 8.91 run success percentage. Whereas Jenkins is a little bit more volatile. Again, pass blocking grade 8.39 is about the same, but run blocking grade was 7.3. However, pass blocking efficiency 9.2 run success percentage 9.08. So clearly on this, just looking at this, Garrett Bradbury is the guy. I mean, just from the standpoint of if you want an athletic center that's able to, you know, kind of pull and do some stuff in that regard, Garrett Bradbury definitely stands. I mean, they all all can do it. But then the question is, okay, you're athletic, but what else can you do? He's a good pass blocker. He's a good run blocker. There's not much else to figure out. Now, it just doesn't really affect the Packers because we're not going to be drafting a replacement for Corey Lindsley, but that doesn't mean we're not taking one of these guys. If any of them are able to be sort of one of those center guard hybrids, we still need that position. And the fact of the matter is, if Corey Lindsley goes down, we're not in a good spot. So if we were to take a guy, let's say Garrett Bradbury can play guard. Garrett Bradbury can come in and be a starting guard, and then we could be in a situation where if something did happen to Corey Lindsley, which I know we don't want to talk about, but Garrett Bradbury could slide over and be a center, somebody else can come in and fill uh, the guard spot. Now, if we're just looking for a backup, we're probably going to move down this list a little bit, looking a little bit more at, you know, I don't know, Connor McGovern out of Penn State, right? Still super athletic. He had the second highest relative athletic score of, of this group here, 9.74. Um, as far as his, his pass blocking, he graded out in the good category for both pass blocking and pass blocking efficiency. His run success percentage was 9.24, so very, very high. So he, he's, he's good. He's good enough, and he's athletic. And again, he's a guy that has the potential to come in and compete, but more than likely he's going to be a viable backup. So I just want to throw that out there. That's what I discovered with center. Again, I understand we're not replacing our center, and we don't need to, and I don't want to, but uh, that doesn't, again, mean any of these guys are necessarily off the list. It's just a matter of if they can play guard. And also, it's just it's it's a, a reference and a resource. Again, I'm going to be doing quarterback and everything else. If you're doing mock drafts or whatever, you can still utilize this sheet. It's a good reference to have. Now, I wanted to quickly pivot to safety because that didn't take very long. I went ahead and watched um, Nasir Adderley. I watched Juan Thornhill, and I watched Taylor Rapp. I watched Taylor Rapp because I wanted to see the speed and how much of an issue that was. I watched Juan Thornhill because he was number one on my list, and I want to watch Nasir Adderley because he's he's technically on my list, but he's he's not really on the list because I don't really have any numbers for him. Although I should look because they just updated their... Uh, 
their PDF. I wonder if Nasir could. I, I, I'm guessing they just don't have information on him. I don't know if they didn't scout him or what, because he's a pretty high-level prospect. But anyways, I wanted to see him because I don't have any numbers on him, and he's supposedly the top guy. Right out of the gate, if I had to sort them, and it's very close on the top two, I would. I, I really believe I would have Taylor Rapp number one over Nasir Adderley. And then third would be Juan Thornhill. And that's just of the three. I, I I don't know if Juan Thornhill would still end up being number three. So first of all, I like Juan Thornhill, and I think he has a lot of upside. I just worry that with Juan Thornhill, you're getting sort of a Josh Jones-type player. He's versatile. We, you know, right, he can play safety, he can play corner, he can play in the box, he can do all this stuff. The question is, what can he do really well? I don't really know. I know he's super athletic, so his ability is there. Now, he has that ability to do whatever. I just worry that he's going to end up being one of those tweeners, that one of those guys that they love, the Packers love to draft, that Ted Thompson loved to draft, the guys that have the ability and the, the physical ability and mental ability to handle these positions, just none of them at a very high level. So you're kind of drafting three players, but you're drafting three mediocre to bad players. Right? A, an okay safety, a below average uh, corner, and a, a pretty below average linebacker. I would rather just have one really good safety. Again, I could be wrong about Juan Thornhill. I just, I went into it wanting to love him, and I just, it, you know. One thing I saw for sure is he gets pushed around a lot. He is not a real big dude. The other thing that worries me, I saw a lot of haha Clinton Dix in him. And by that I mean, I didn't see a lot of, of willingness and desire. The speed is in his, his capability, but he's one of those guys who... You know, if, if there's people in the air, and I'm not even talking about being tackled. I'm talking about he's the safe. In front of him are two defenders, maybe corners, and then there's a guy running with the football. He should be sprinting as fast as he can to go make that tackle, but instead he's kind of jogging because he's going to assume that the guys that are over there are going to make that tackle, and sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. I don't care. Get over there. Because it's, there's nothing more frustrating as watching a safety or a linebacker or whoever jog to an area because they assume someone's going to do it and then when they don't make the tackle you start sprinting and try to catch them from behind because it turns out they didn't make the tackle and now you have to try to catch them from behind as opposed to getting over there and helping to make that tackle and yeah you can coach that and you can teach that but ultimately it's a heart thing he doesn't want to he doesn't feel the need to why don't you feel the need to so i wasn't as impressed as i wanted to be i i didn't see the the physicality like i said i saw a lot of tap and speed i just didn't see a lot coming from it I, I, again, I kind of, in a slightly different way, I kind of saw him as a Josh Jones type player. I thought he was really good out in the open, like, you know, blitzing from the slot when there's nobody really in that area. His ability to close really fast, that was awesome. I mean, he, the, the guy can fly. There's no question about it. He's really fast. I just didn't see a lot from it. The next guy I watched was Taylor Rapp, and it was just like a breath of fresh air. I absolutely, 100% would put my stamp on getting Taylor Rapp, and I don't care about his physical limitations. I understand that it could be a bad thing if he's a legitimately, and again, I don't really know, but if he's legitimately a 4-7 guy, that can be a problem. Of the three guys that I watched, he is the one guy that I would not trust to be able to get to the sideline if he's doing single high safety stuff. And that is a problem. But I never actually really saw it materialize as a problem. There was maybe one play I saw, which was like typical Packers type play where the corner got beat and the the throw is down the sideline and it's a matter of can the safety get there before the ball gets there and the answer is no. Taylor Rapp got there a step too late. It was a perfect pass. Taylor Rapp hit him and knocked him out of bounds. But, you know, at that point, again, it's too late. Now, you know, make the play, great, but it would be nice if you get there early so that the play isn't completed. Beyond that, though, there's no question the heart and physicality and just, I mean, so when I watched him, this is my new routine. After work, I go to the gym and I listen to very angry music after taking a pre-workout energy thing because I'm very tired. I was watching this guy and I just wanted to get into a fist fight with my treadmill. He got me jacked up. He is so, and I, I, listen, as I said, when I did my, uh, when I did my mock draft with Mark Jarvis before, and I was talking about, you know, I, I want to bring back the Legion of Boom for Seattle. Who should I pick? And he said Taylor Rapp. I get that now. If you want a guy that's going to help to come in and, and bring just an edge, a physicality, a, a tenacity, a just a meanness to the defense, it's going to be Taylor Rapp. 
that sort of attitude that Jair had, that, that you know, I'm, I'm not going to take any nonsense, I'm going to smack you around, that's Taylor Rapp to a T. It is not Juan, Juan Thornhill. It is not Nasir Adderley. If you want speed and you want a guy that can play single high and you want a guy that's got athleticism, you take Nasir Adderley, you take Juan Thornhill, you take one of probably several other guys, probably not Taylor Rapp. But I never, one time, and it, it was, it was, see, that, and that was the problem with, with Juan Thornhill is so many times it was like, come on, come on, go, just come on, man. I never once said that with Taylor Rapp. He's flying up to the ball. His ability to take on blockers is just violent. His tackles were just perfect. As, as I said when I did my sheet, he, he broke my scale because everybody else is basically single digits. A couple of freaks are like 10, 14, 15. I think somebody had a 17. His number was 55 in terms of tackling efficiency. So my thought is Taylor Rapp is sort of an Adrian Amos. Adrian Amos isn't a super great athlete. He's not a, a, a real big speed guy. But if you're looking for somebody that's intelligent, who's got his eyes on the quarterback, who's making quick, decisive, intelligent decisions, who is not going to miss a tackle, who is not going to make a mistake, he might not be able to physically handle certain things. There are certain times where, you know, if he was a little bit faster, he probably could have got to the quarterback before he made that throw on that blitz. There, there are certain times where if he was a little bit faster, maybe he could have got to the sideline and broke up that path. I'm personally willing to sacrifice that little bit to know that we get an he will start he will play he will be a good football player he will have physical limitations but he will be a good football player that is my assessment of the situation again do I want him to be my single high free safety no do I think he'd be a a great uh, fit to be able to do sort of what I believe the Packers are going to do which is to use two safeties just sort of interchangeably it's not just the whole free safety, strong safety thing. It's a guy that can play free safety, can play strong safety, but in a sense is just interchangeable and most of the time just playing cover two. Yeah, and I don't know, maybe they don't. Maybe they want Adrian Amos to be the single high and they're just looking for these these hybrid linebacker types. Well, okay, fine. And, I, you know, I, I think Taylor Rapp can handle that. Again, he's physical, he's violent. He can take on blocks. He's a great tackler. I don't know. I, I just Maybe I'm just getting tired of that experiment because it doesn't ever seem to work. We just can't ever find that guy, and it'd be nice to just get a couple safeties that are just good safeties to do something similar to what the Bears did. You just got two guys that are back, and you know one of them is going to roam up a little bit, and one of them will stay back a little bit. But there's two safeties on the team, and I, I would love for Taylor Rapp to be that other guy. Now, in terms of Nasir Adderley, I really, really like him, and I absolutely, I mean, it, it, it's maybe 1A and 1B. It's just a matter of what you're looking for. And I'm not even mad at you if you say Nasir Adderley is better because it's, better is, is a relative word because what are you looking for? Nasir Adderley is a lot better than Taylor Rapp in a lot of categories, but he's not as good as Taylor Rapp in other categories. So it's just a matter of what are you looking for. Nasir Adderley can fly. He is so fast and it is very evident. He is the guy that if you played single high, has that ability, if anybody in this class does, to be a true sideline to sideline safety. He's not as physical as Taylor Rapp. I don't think he brings that same kind of energy and, and aggression that Taylor Rapp does, but I would say he's better at it than Juan Thornhill is. For me, though, it's just a matter of, of I want a guy that's just not going to be bad. I don't want that defense that just gives up big plays in critical situations anymore. I just want solid football players. And, and to be completely honest, if you told me right now the game is on the line, do you want Nasir Adderley or Taylor Rapp for, the, for this two-minute drive? I want Taylor Rapp. Because I think in terms of just intelligent and, and making good decisions, I think t- uh, Taylor Rapp is better. Again, unprofessional opinion. I'm not a scout. I watched maybe three games apiece. I, I came in assuming that maybe Juan Thornhill would be the best, then maybe Nasir Adderley or possibly Nasir would be the best, then Juan Thornhill, then Taylor Rapp. Blown away by Taylor Rapp. And again, just that energy and just that aggression and just that kind of physicality, just that sort of Legion of Boom mentality that he that he has coming from a program like Washington, which is basically the, the perennial Legion of Boom in their own right. And I know Kevin King came from there, and I'm not the biggest Kevin King supporter in the world, but I, I, I'm just telling you, I would put my stamp of approval on a Taylor Rapp uh, pickup, and I would have no reservation about it. But just understand, if we, again, I'm comfortable with Gutekunst's decisions because he knows better than I do, especially in terms of what the team needs, what Petten wants, what Petten's going to do, fine. But just understand, if we make that decision, that's what we're getting. It's about aggression. It's about tenacity. It's about violence. That aggression and that violence that Jair brought to the team, to the secondary, that's what you're getting, but even more so. Adrian Amos, that the, the smash Amos, the, the violence and, and aggression that he brings, but also intelligence. Again, if, if I had to... to to give you a comparison to who Taylor Rapp would be like, it would be Adrian Amos. 
Whereas Juan Thornhill is maybe more of a Morgan Burnett, a, a versatile piece. You know, not super high end, but I mean, if you, you just put him wherever you need him, and he's going to be a guy that that can just go there. You want him up, you want him back, you want him on a corner, whatever. He can handle it. He's a Swiss Army knife kind of guy. And and again, with both of those guys, way more upside. If if Nasir Adderley can can take that ability to its to its highest potential level, he can be a great safety in the NFL. He can be an elite safety. And I understand. Listen, if you're willing to, maybe I'm just not willing to roll the dice. I don't want to miss is the problem because I don't need an elite safety. I need good safeties. Aaron Rodgers is the engine. Aaron Rodgers is the driver. The offense is going to go out. The offense is going to score points. I need a defense to not just crumble and be garbage. So I'm going to take the safe Taylor Rapp route. If you want to roll the dice and go Nasir Adderley and and take his upside and say, this guy has the potential to be, you know, I, I shouldn't say Earl Thomas, but a very, very, very good safety, go ahead and take Nasir Adderley. I just worry about the floor, and I think Taylor Rapp has the highest floor of those three guys. That's my personal assessment of that situation. And again, just watch him and just tell me that it doesn't get you fired up. Just the way he plays the game gets me fired up. And yes, if I was the GM and I had to pick and, and, and we were going to take a safety and it was a matter of which one, he would be the first safety that I would take off the board. And again, the 40 time absolutely scares me. I absolutely understand that that could be detrimental. Similar to what happened with Tease Tabor, to be honest. So maybe I'm really digging a grave here. I really, really, really liked Tease Tabor. I think he was my third favorite cornerback in that very deep class. But he ran a ridiculously slow 40 time. I mean, real bad. He gets drafted by the Lions, I think, late second round, possibly early third. I don't remember. And he's just been complete garbage. I, I covered up for him at first saying, well, they put him at safety. He's not a safety that's dumb. Well, I think he's played in the slot. He's played in a lot of places, and he just can't get his stuff together. So I don't know. I understand if, if the argument is 4-7 is just too slow and you cut it off. But I'm, I, if that isn't a problem, yes, he is my top guy. And I didn't see it as a problem. Again, playing for this isn't just some like D3 school. Washington is a tough school amongst really good corners, really good defensive backs. And if he was a bad football player, and if he had speed that was just detrimental, it would stand out pretty evidently. And he did stand out, and he stood out in a positive way in that secondary. So anyways, those are kind of my thoughts on it. I'd be interested to hear yours, um, if there's any other safeties that you like that you think I know I wanted to watch uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. I will maybe put that on my list of guys to watch today. I don't know. We'll see. But again, get in the Facebook group. Let me know what you think. Tomorrow I'll plan on uh, pending what's going on, getting to those questions. But as for now, I'm going to leave it at that. You folks, as always, have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Uh, Bye-bye.